You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Bucka, 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 bucka. <laughs> you know the deal. Another episode of Can We Talk? My name is Eric McLeod. We have a great group of guys around us. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Anthony, uh, Anthony Holden. Um, follow my Instagram, Reluctant Movie Buff, all one word. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Eric. No problem. My name is Aaron McLeod. Um, follow me on Instagram, TDDP underscore Aaron. I'm his big brother. <laughs> <laughs> yep. My name is uh, Marquise uh, Herring, also known as Coach Herring. You Coach. can uh, follow me on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, just look me up, Coach Herring. Coach, Coach Herring. Keys, you know go it. back. You know <laughs> so, man, it's been a while since we had this last podcast. It had to be at least, man, maybe, what, five months? It's, so it's been at least five months. It's yeah. been a while. So what's been going on with y'all since then? What's, what's new? Um, you know, just, you know, doing my independent grind outside of my nine to five. You know, just yeah. um, I'm, I'm a screenwriter, a freelance up-and-coming screenwriter. Okay. So, you know, I write scripts and, you know, I um, – I, on my Instagram, I upload, you know, reviews of all my DVDs, you know. Mm. I, I try to make something out of all the DVDs I got, you know, right. collecting dust. So, uh, man, I need to be in a, in a movie, man. I have to. All right, man. <laughs> I'll we're, have focusing, you. we're focusing on the, um, the Dream Deferred Project. Yes, sir. Uh, Eric, you know a lot about that. Yeah, yeah, I plug y'all into that. <laughs> the Dream Deferred Project is our, our organization. We focus on business development, uh, particularly with the youth. And so we're going to be in about... 27 schools in the fall. You know, we're going to be in some schools Whoa. in Ypsilanti, yeah. That's so good. Ypsilanti. That's good so stuff we make, right there. We're making awesome. it work over there, man. So uh, we've been busy with that so far, man. What, you, what about you, Keith? Man, I've been super busy. Uh, for one, um, uh, the EAA, Educational oh. Achievement Authority, where I worked, I'm no longer – of course, it's no longer in business. So right. uh, I'm a free agent out here these days. <laughs> but I did land a head uh, basketball coaching position over at Davis Aerospace nice. in Detroit. Awesome. So um, nice. right now I've been trying to grind and get that going and, yes, uh, you know, get in with my basketball players and just enjoy the summer a little bit. You know, when you work in education, you never really get an opportunity to um, just rest, you know, like when you, especially in, in my position because as a coach, you're working through every season. If you, mm-hmm. if it's off season, then you're training and conditioning. If right, it's right. in season, you're coaching. You know, so um, just I've just enjoyed the summer so far. That's good. I know I used to be your assistant coach back at PEC for oh, yeah. a while, so oh, I, yeah. I understand <laughs> how hectic it is over there, man. You but learn firsthand it's for real. But today, man, our our discussion is going to center around the tale of two cities within one city. Um, so we're going to focus on the city of Detroit and primarily downtown Detroit compared to the rest of Detroit. And I know um, Anthony and Marquis, they, they came to me with this, this similar topic. And I think it's something we need to touch about, touch on and talk about. I think, um, you know, something that, that, that's definitely over the years you've seen this changing. You've seen the dynamics of the city changing. And I think this is, uh, it needs some quality discussion. So what y'all think about what y'all see that's going on in the city of Detroit in terms of the tale of the two cities? Look, man, um, I'm, I'm kind of double-edged sword with it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I like that downtown is a place where I can take my girl. You know, mm-hmm. we can um, we can sightsee and relax, and you know, see you know white people come by on skateboards. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Midtown Detroit that's awesome. But on the other side, you know, there are black businesses being kind of pushed out. You know, with with right. the new with the new businesses and everything. And you know, there's the Quicken Loans. Well, I don't know if it's Quicken Loans, but there was a scandal with the advertising, I believe. 
Yeah. Uh, was it with Dan Gilbert? It was Dan Gilbert, yeah. Yeah, like, this is our Detroit, and this, it was a bunch of, you know, Caucasian people, and, you know, a lot of people touched on that, like, well, wait a minute, what about our Detroit? Mm, and, um, yeah, man, I think it's a double-edged sword. I, I love that the money's coming back to downtown, mm. but don't push us out either. You know right, right. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with Anthony. Um, I believe that, you know, that, that double-edged sword does exist. You know, it's it's hard to ignore the fact that you can go to the east side and it's like nothing going on. A bunch right. of abandoned buildings, a bunch mm. of abandoned houses, right. um, a lot of cleanup that's necessary. Yeah. And then you go down Woodward, you know, right across the street from the Motor City Casino, and, I mean, you see construction, all kind of new stuff just mm. coming and just making its way in. It's kind of sad. It's, it's disheartening. Right. It's definitely disheartening. And definitely working with the kids, and I know Aaron can attest, and and Marquise, working with the kids in the schools, you definitely see that, you know, they're living a life that is, is a lot of times difficult. You know, a lot of them are dealing with issues that, you know, deep poverty, you know, that's definitely entrenched and ingrained within their, their community. Um, and they're not seeing any of the benefits of what's going down in downtown Detroit. Yeah, it's a total different world. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, the class of 2017 and Henry Ford did this thing called Cap and Gown Around Town. Mm. And so it's an opportunity for them to, uh, you know, get on a bus and go and take their cap and gown pictures in different prominent areas around the city. Right. Um, it was surprising, you know, I guess how many young people who were had never seen the DIA, um, wow. who had never seen the Fox Theater, um, who had never really been on the campus marshes and seen it. Wow. So. You're talking about a tale of two cities. Mm. You know, where does Seven Mile and Evergreen or, or, mm-hmm. or Plymouth uh, and, and Myers or, mm. or where does uh, Joy Road and, and Finkel and Puritan blend with Midtown? Right. There is no blend. It's a, t- it's a totally different contrast in, in, in different areas. And it's amazing how over the years how the uh, blacks have been pushed out of that area out mm. there down there. And now it's it's totally, um, I want to say almost white, totally yeah. white. Yeah. And the thing is, they're getting, you know, residents are getting priced out of these areas, man. I'm looking at, you know, the real estate value and the market of some of these these apartments, just the rent these apartments. They used to be maybe $800, $700 a month. Now it's somewhere close to like $2,000 for, you know, a small one-room bedroom. That's crazy. Bedroom. So That's and and it shows you that. Um, and I've been in one of those apartments. I'm like, man, this ain't <laughs> worth one or two thousand. It's not. It's not. But it's happening every single major city. You're looking at Chicago's, Brooklyn's. You're looking at even parts of L.A. that where they used to be the urban centers are now being driven out um, and, and gentrified a little bit. And so, mm-hmm. and again, there's nothing wrong with that. I think if it's done with the right intentions and not to solely push out those who were there at the beginning, you can you can see some benefits to it. But can, I think can we. Oh, go ahead. Okay, no, I was, I was going to say that, but I think it needs to be done with everyone's best interest in mind, even those residents who've been there for their whole lives. I was about to say, can we can we talk about that queue line, though? Oh, yeah, that's stupid. I mean, like, I, I, when it first began, I was like, okay, so it's for people that work in Midtown to go to work in Midtown? Mm-hmm. Like, like what, what what's the real purpose here? Like, I'm, I, like, again, I'm glad it's a new venture that can gain right. more money, but again, I'm like, you're kind of you're kind of messing with, you know, DPD, the DOT, the um, Detroit Public uh, Transport. Yeah. Kind of yeah. messing with their business, and that is Detroit right there. Yeah, and I think any viable or any real city, true city, has 
a viable transportation system. Um, if you go to D.C., if you go to New York, Chicago, these transportation systems are actually real and they actually serve a purpose. I think the Q line is almost just as bad as the. It's the people the moving people on the moving. ground, people right? Over, yeah. It does a, a three mile loop and goes again from from uh, the new center down to downtown Detroit, but it really serves no purpose. Now, if they were to expand out that out to maybe eight mile, right? You know that'll work, but they won't do that. But they won't do it. Yeah. But that was the original plan. Right. Uh, the original plan was it. The, they really wanted it to go even into Macomb and Oakland counties, but those counties didn't want to uh, sign on to it. Right. So um, I think that the Q line it has potential um, because it can go in places where DLT can't, you mm. know. And um, the problem is, is it looks real crazy right now is because it's just circling the same area where people drive. Exactly. The thing about um, our city, and it's crazy, I was just having this conversation with my mom and my sister, is that um, our uh, city is 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 totally different from the uh, city that like if you were to go to Chicago or to New York um, you know we're not a city that really that relies on um, people movers and you know and trains and things right. and subways and things of that sort and so um, is because so many people still in this in, in our area in the Detroit area drive everywhere mm-hmm. they go uh, it's easy to just jump in your car just like if you go to parts of, of, of LA or you mm-hmm. know California they're big on Uber over there, you know, sure. where that that is that mode of transportation is just starting to come over to this area. But in, in you know, you go to parts of California, they live by Uber. You mm-hmm. know, um, you go to New York, um, they look at you crazy if you t- told them that you were driving in the town. They'd say, "Why ain't you on the, the subway or something?" You know, True. so um, I think we do need it. It it just um, it needs to be expanded, mm-hmm. and and it's not going to be expanded until. Everyone gets on board, mm-hmm. and and that that's the problem between Detroit and the suburban areas is is um, <laughs> they don't want that traffic out there right. like that, you know. And go ahead, Aaron. okay. I think that okay. I'm with the Q line discussion, but I also want to play devil's advocate as a business owner. Will we even resp- as we? I mean, our people <clears throat> respect businesses who try to come into the area to create that entrepreneurship environment where we can create more jobs. Yeah. Cause you move in, you worry about theft. True. Insurance rates being higher. Yeah. I mean, we, it could be attributed to redlining or whatever, yeah. but higher insurance, um, more thefts. Yeah. Violence. I mean, you gotta that take does. all that into account. Could that be the problem? And it is a problem. I think I had, a, we was having a conversation this with, um, with someone else and we were talking about how, there was a study where they show a single woman with a bachelor's degree who lives in a city in a suburban area. Her insurance was maybe $170. Now take that same single woman, put her in the city of Detroit with a 48205 zip code, and her insurance is close to $400. You know, so auto insurance. So that's, wow. that's, that's nuts. And something has to change regarding that because you are, again, you're charging the most for people who don't have any money. Yeah. Right. And that's just creating more poverty. And they want they they're trying to figure out why people in Detroit have insurance like car insurance. But you know, I, I'm gonna sound like uh, you know um, I hate to be the bad time. guy. Oh no! But uh, <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, yeah, I, I have no problem with what Dan Gilbert is doing. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we we say I know when we say the the we as a people. Mm. 
we haven't been as a people. Mm. You know, we've been too individualistic. I mean, right. how many people have come through this city, black people who grew up in this city, who made prominent dollars and didn't buy any of those buildings? You mean to tell me <laughs> that a group of, of, of black folks couldn't come together who have millions? That's part of double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah and, build, and, and then the minute that someone else comes in and gets those buildings, all of a sudden, hey, wait a we minute. all want to say, what a minute. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? You coming in our city, taking our – you didn't That's do anything right. when it was there. <laughs> I mean, so he's being a good businessman. Absolutely. That reminds me of that Jay-Z lyric where he said that the building cost $2 million in Dumbo. In yeah. Dumbo. He How do I feel? Dumbo. <laughs> Dumbo. He should have bought it when it was worth $2 million. Now it's worth $22 million. And I, that, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of reality. That, that, that bothers me, man. And, 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 and I have to hold it in when I'm talking to certain people in certain conversations because, you know, we'll get offended. Listen, I'm true to my people to the day I die. But at the same time, if this man comes in, he's a businessman. He Absolutely. came in and made a business decision. Yeah. And he bought that territory. How, how many prominent African Americans have come through, lived in the city, walked through downtown, saw that it was a ghost town with the people mover running through it, did not come together and try to buy any of those buildings. Yeah. And then the minute that this man comes in and he's doing the same thing here he did in Cleveland mm-hmm. and does that, we want to start talking. Right. He's yeah, taking yeah. over. He's do- No, you didn't do anything. He's a businessman. He's taking – he's an opportunistic person. Yeah. It's yeah. an opportunity. He's going to take it. He had that vision too. He exactly. Had, he foresaw in his mind, all right, if I buy these buildings now – I'm going to turn around the city yeah, you and know, make and I, all the money. <laughs> yeah, you know, I also think it's a great parallel to, you know, even politics in Detroit. Like, you know, the mayor we have now, you know, I have I have no problem with what he's doing. But then again, you have other people that are saying, like, well, what about Coleman Young? And, you know, mm-hmm. then, it, you know, race ties into it, too. Like, you, depending on who you talk to and what time of the day, some people will say Kwame did a good job. Some people will say Kwame made us look bad, mm-hmm. all the above. You know, and like I think I think that's kind of like a good parallel to the whole thing with Dan Gilbert and you know downtown Detroit. Mm-hmm. That's the, uh, I'm sorry, that, that's politics. I mean, yeah. like you said, yeah. I mean, many people would say uh, former President Bill Clinton did a great job, right. but at the same time, he also had blemishes on his his record, mm-hmm. aka Monica Lewinsky, and right. of course, of course, the NAFTA trade deal, and thing, mm-hmm. you know, things of that sort. So, you know, when it, it, I just I think that. My personal feeling is that when we as a people begin to rise up and take advantage of our own areas and stop waiting on someone, we waiting on Superman to fly in with with a, with a plan for everybody. Right. There are enough abandoned buildings, enough abandoned homes in our own community for some of us to come together and start our own businesses and uh, create revenue in our own neighborhoods. Right. But we don't do that. We sit around, and then when someone who's a billionaire like uh, Dan Gilbert comes in, we we try to fault him for what he's doing. Right. And I don't think I just I think we have to stop doing that. The thing about the abandoned houses, too, I want to speak on that. Um, and that's another thing that's complex. You know, most people say, you know, oh, those abandoned houses they need to be taken care of, mm-hmm. but when they are fixed up and made nice, they sometimes are to the point where you probably can't afford to live there if you wanted to. You know right. what I mean? Like and that's 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 what gentrification is. You you ask for something to be you know made up real nice, and it gets made that way. But when you when you're at a point where you're like kind of like below middle class or lower middle class, and you kind of want to indulge in it too, you can't. 
Like, oh, this is for the upper class. Like, right. well, I didn't ask y'all to fix that part of it. I just asked y'all to fix it, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that. Inclusive, I mean, yeah, being inclusive. I also believe that, you know, the tale of two cities is also the tale of two different ways of thinking. Um, you have people who think a certain way. Mm-hmm. Even though we may be on a lower economic, socioeconomic status, you, you have to remember that trillions of dollars are spent through the African-American minority community. And we don't take advantage of ways to spend it to increase our own, our own in our own community. Um, you could easily pull that money together and begin to invest the right way. Mm-hmm. But mentally, if we're not there, if we don't think like Dan Gilbert, right. how can you ever get there? It's going to be really hard. It's going to be exactly. difficult. Yes, it's all about mindset. If you weren't if you weren't raised to know how to navigate that system, you would never understand you know the system. And so, you know, it it goes with teaching you know financial literacy, you know, teaching the importance of investing, you know, your money, saving your money, um, and doing that at a young age. Because you, again, if I was born in an affluent family where my father was an, was an attorney or or a doctor who was taught how to save his money, you know, what's investing, what stocks were, what bonds were, you would have a whole nother completely different mindset of what money is. Right now, people are living, basically living to survive in most cases. So they're living paycheck to paycheck, not really understanding that, you know, investing money is probably the best way in order to get the most dividends or, or, or get the most out of that. But when you're trying to just constantly pay bills, trying, trying to constantly just find some, something to eat, you know, feed your kids, put clothes in their back, you just not thinking that way. You're thinking about surviving. Or we or we're we're popping up with the wrong businesses. Well, yeah. I want to say the wrong businesses and, and, and I mean the city is inundated with weed spots. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, every corner you turn the there's a, a weed spot. That, like you said, that's the new liquor store. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so uh <laughs> it is it is funny. It's, 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 it's just ridiculous. You know, everywhere yeah. you turn uh one the other day I was on um I was on Livernois. Mm-hmm. Livernois. I tell you, from seven mile mm-hmm. on Livernois till I got to about uh almost right there at the lodge, it was just weed in the air. Just smelling it. <laughs> I mean, as you're driving, you drive it and you just smell it in the air. You yeah, know, right. and it's like uh. It's two different. We're living. It's like we're living in two. It's it's crazy. You go downtown, mm-hmm. and you go downtown. You see people running. You see people on bikes. You right. see people skateboarding. You see people smiling. It's an ice cream shop. They're playing volleyball mm-hmm. in the sand. They're playing basketball down around campus marshes. Yeah. You come in the hood, and it's a totally different vibe. You mm-hmm. know, just a totally different vibe. It's two cities in yeah. one. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, we're coming up on a mayoral election, but I I, I don't know, you know, in in terms of, um, you know, which one of them is the best candidate. Mike Duggan has done a really good job. Yes. But, you know, the question the question I I have in the background is if Benny Napoleon was elected, would he had been given some of the same Mm. allowances that Mike Duggan was given? Definitely not. I think that Mike Duggan provided a new face, um, you know, for the city of Detroit and people were a little bit. More willing to open their pockets, you and know. I think, um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that if any other mayor was elected, that wouldn't be, probably wouldn't be the case. Um, but I agree. I think I do like Mike Duggan. I think he's done a lot of great things for the city. He's doing what he can. Um, you know, some people may be against it, you know, due to other reasons. But I feel that, you know, he's doing his best. And you can tell he's trying to improve, make those improvements in the city, and trying to invest money 
into, uh, you know, black businesses and things of that such. It's just we got to make sure that, you know, we continue that effort on. Yeah, you know, I uh, like I like Duggan as well, but the, the tag on to the marijuana dispensary thing, you know, um, a few months back, my dad and I would have a game where we're driving down 8 Mile, and we we count how many weed dispensaries we'd see from, like, 8 Mile Woodward to 8 Mile last year where my whereabouts are. It was about like, it was about like 20 of them, I think. <laughs> you know, like the Green Mile. They got one open up <laughs> called uh, Holy Moly Donut Shop, <laughs> a Friday reference, you know. But um, what I have noticed that some of them have closed down due to some city ordinances um, mm-hmm. about being too close to a church or a school, right. something like that. So some of them have closed down. So um, you still see a lot of them, but you're starting to see a little less. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you want to introduce our new uh, our new oh, guest? Yeah, we here? have we have Kyle Bowler here. Kyle, say say some words, man. You've been quiet. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a man of few words, but he's very intelligent. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the whole discussion. And I, I read an article, and, and someone was talking about this: how millennials are more willing to, you know, live in these urban cities. They're more willing to um, sort of forego the comforts of suburban life. To sort of live in that city life, we're not afraid and, to and fail. We're not, yeah, they're not af- afraid to fail at all, and, and that includes uh, millennials of all races and backgrounds. And so you're starting to see, you know, again, more of them uh, moving towards downtown Detroit area, more of them are moving out to the new center, you know, midtown area. And so again, that does bring a lot of economic power and prowess back to the city. Um, but again, we need to make sure that continues to spread, and we just we definitely need to have a broader discussion about this, man, because I think in order to truly change the city around it starts with the neighborhoods yeah it has to and so what are you what do you think we need to do in order to continue to facilitate that improvement in the neighborhoods what has to be done well i mean i'm probably not the right person to ask this question Mm -hmm. um you know i see i see some things in my neighborhood i see that we're starting to have more community meetings Mm -hmm. neighborhood watch you know they even put a fancy sign up that says berg lasher communities you know Mm -hmm. i drove home looking at that like huh like oh all right that looks nice you know so i think i think i think we're going in the right direction where i live and i think that could be carried out to other neighborhoods mm-hmm. my take yeah I, I think it's also a sense of pride in your community and i think having that signage you know outside of your neighborhood it definitely makes you seem or makes your community seem as if it's as if it's more uh, cohesive and connected it makes me feel like i'm in the jeffersons yeah yeah and that's something that we need to get back yeah that's something that we definitely need to get back to in terms of building that those relationships among amongst neighbors amongst you know people in the community um you know business owners in the community and realize that we're not we shouldn't live separately you know we, we're all in this together it's all, it's all about you know rising up together out of whatever that poverty is or whatever that situation is uh, socioeconomically i think it starts with us instilling in the kids that you can't go out here and you can't win. You know, you can't make it happen. You can't go out and start a business. You can't invest. You can't do things that wasn't previously told to you in your from your mother or your father. Because um, it took me a while to learn that, you know, I'm 32. I didn't know that, you know, until I got in my 20s. You know, the fact that I could be a business owner and we could make some things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, look how that's changed a lot. You know, so they have to just get them to instill that in, that confidence that they need, and just letting them know that they're more than, you know, more than just the the welfare, more than all of that. Right. right. I think. I mean, I think that starts with uh, education. You know, mm-hmm. first and foremost, we uh, our city needs transformation in several different areas, uh, and education is one. Uh, also, uh, our spiritual community. 
you know, while while we while I, I just ragged a little bit on on, on so many of the uh, marijuana dispensaries, there are more than two thousand churches uh, registered in the city of Detroit. Um, on uh, one almost on every corner. Two thousand. Yeah, Man. and so you know you have um, you know so many churches in the city uh, who are set up. How many of them are really doing the work in the right. communities in which they uh, they are are built? And, uh, you know, I'm a church man. You know, mm-hmm. I go to church. My church is in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't be attending that church if if they weren't doing more, you know, in terms of community work. Because mm-hmm. it, it's sad to have people come into your building every Sunday for, or all throughout the week from the community and you draw money from them mm-hmm. but do nothing in that community. Right. And, uh, we're you know, we're seeing way too much of that. So in our, in our school system, is just terrible. Yeah. Um, lack of teachers, lack of education. You worked in it. I worked in it. Mm-hmm. Closing a um, lot down. Yeah, you're closing yeah. schools down. So you don't have kids now who go to their neighborhood school. Mm-hmm. I went from my elementary school was around the corner. The middle school was around the corner from that. Mm-hmm. Then I chose what high school I wanted to go to, right. which was uh, Northwestern, which was across the, the freeway from where I live. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't have neighborhood schools anymore because so many schools have been closed now. The education sucks in the city. Yeah. So you have a kid who's coming from a home of poverty uh, where they're fighting to survive, fighting to eat every day. I mean, the basic uh, essentials of everyday life, they don't have that. And then you're telling this kid to grow up and and uh, and you can be anything you want to be. Mm-hmm. They don't see that. And so yeah. and we have to begin to expose them. You know, their real life is, you know, you want to show them and t- show them downtown and, and take them where everything looks nice downtown, mm-hmm. but they go back to poverty. Yeah. You know, and so we have to, like you said, the religious community and the mm-hmm. schools have to do a better job of educating and exposing uh, communities to our community to a different way of living. Yeah, it has to be done, man. It's, it's one of those things where um, if you touch on any aspect of why a lot of people don't move back into the neighborhoods of Detroit, and it's the educational system. It's just, it's just failing. Um, uh, there's no way you'd raise a kid no. or put a, uh, put a kid in one of these schools. No, no not at all. And you, know, you end up going outside the city. You know? Right. Like I remember um, – you know, I was at a Detroit public school for a while, and then my mom took me to a school in Ferndale, and that's where I graduated from. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't even go to a school in my own city. Yeah. But then you also now have, and then you, you've seen this, uh, Eric, is you have so many kids who are leaving and abandoning the Detroit public school system or inner city schools. They're going, they had behavior issues. Mm-hmm. They go into the suburbs now to these schools, and, and they they don't know how to deal with they these don't. kids, you know. <laughs> so you got this kid that's coming in. I, I knew a story over at, a, a, well, I won't say the name, but a suburban school. I was doing some work for a couple of years ago, mm. and they had an influx of kids from Detroit, from the east side of Detroit, and the principal was struggling. He did not know how to educate these kids. Mm. He didn't know how to deal with them because this kid is coming to your class, and they're cursing you out. Right. They're just not used to that out there. So I don't know how to deal with this kid. This kid is from the city. This kid is in the ninth, tenth grade. They read on a third grade level. Mm. High school was never set up to remediate back to the third grade. So you want to give your kid a better education and you send them out to the suburbs thinking you want to give them that. They're struggling because they don't know how to first deal with your kid from a behavior standpoint mm. or culturally 
or that kid's uh, academic level. So, I mean, it's it's – it's just, it's a lot going on out here. Let's just take a moment to say, you know, God bless the teachers. You know, that's, <laughs> yes, that's yes, a hard job, really, man. Yeah. I, I, I think the only baby kid I would take care of is my own baby kid. I can't, <laughs> I can't do that for a profession, man. And they get paid peanuts, man. That's the the, the sad thing too. Right, yeah, right. you're asking them to go above and beyond, spend, you know, nine ten hours between working with students and then grading yeah. papers and. Yeah. Buying your own supplies, your own fighting supply. with the kids, and all so, kinds so of crazy you, you, stuff. You're paying me, you're paying me thirty thousand dollars a year <clears throat> to teach English <laughs> on the high school level, and you know I'll take, I want to take you just through once because you know I'm very passionate about this, especially yeah. education because I work in education yep. and so I'm a coach, and so I always want to assure parents that when your son leaves my basketball program and, and gets ready to go to college. That they have X, Y, and Z, and no X, Y, and Z before they go away to school. Mm. I watched the teacher for one hour, evaluated the teacher for one hour. The teacher, if class starts at nine o'clock, the bell for that class for them to get out of the first class ends at eight fifty-five. So they have right. five minutes from that time to the nine o'clock class. Now, they just finished up with one class. They ha- they are asked to go out and stand in the hallway. <laughs> okay. Direct traffic. So-and-so, go to class, go to class, you go to class, you go to class. Shake everybody's hand, walk into class, have a do now or what we call when I was in school, bell work on Mm -hmm. the board. Take attendance, do bell work in the first 10 minutes of class. Now, you know that's not going down. That's not happening. That teacher walks in that class. The class is out of control. You got this (laughs) one kid over here that was about to fight this kid yesterday. So you got to make sure you separate them. This kid doesn't feel good. This one wants a pass to go to down to the gym. This one mm. left their, their, their work in their locker. One just said, hey, I ain't doing no work today. <laughs> Three sitting up front saying, hey, I want to, I want my work. Let's get to it. Can we get? Yep. Can I get an education? So I, they, those three get no attention no. because I'm spending the whole day worried about the boyfriend and girlfriend in the back that looks like they're trying to get freaky. <laughs> I mean, they deal with so much in the span of so, one so class job, period. <laughs> For real. And, and that's the truth. Yeah. That is the yeah. truth. At least with your um, – well, you teach basketball? Coach basketball, yes. Okay, at least, at least with your people, you know, they're ready to play basketball. They're tolerant because that's something they're interested in. But when you got somebody in the classroom, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do some science or, you know, trying to read or anything like that, they're like, man, you know, they're not really that enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how you fuse that, is, and, and, and you're very right, how you, how you fuse that is you tell them in order for you to bounce this basketball, Exactly. You better bounce that pen to that paper. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Cloud, you, you know me. Yes, yes. <laughs> that that kind of brings me to a larger issue. So we see there's issue with education. Education in the city of Detroit is terrible. So now you have young people moving to the city, all right, in, in droves. So once they're old enough to actually start families, aren't they just going to leave the city? And so where is going to leave the city in the next 10 years? So they're going to be. I I don't think they're going to lead the city. You don't think, I think so? they're going to take it over? I don't know. This, I, I, this is headed. I think education is headed. I don't. I want to say a privatized market or something. Yeah, it's, with it's the, with the Boston the, area. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can see the mayor having a greater role. You know, we're one of the only cities where the mayor doesn't have a, or the city council doesn't have you know a role in the school system. Right. I can see maybe the mayor appointing people in. Mm. You know, he's one. He talked about doing that, um, being you know over education. But education is a big budget, yeah. You know, and so 
something is going to happen. I don't, I don't think I don't see them moving out because I I mean they have they're entitled to be a part of the city just as much as anybody mm-hmm. else, and, and I don't I think they want to. They're not building so, all that up down there just to leave. So you think it's going to be a lot of like UD Jesuits? Is going to oh, be a lot yeah. of oh, oh yeah, I can see that. But I, th- I, I, I can see I can see the city just being like the the mayor having a better presence where mm-hmm. where education where like Detroit Public Schools and stuff is concerned, okay. or making it a metropolitan district. Yeah, you yeah. know, because that was one of my big fears. Is like you have these people who are moving in, but when they're old enough to start families. They're probably gonna leave, yeah. and so that's just gonna leave that, that. Some probably will. Yeah, some will. Do some you will. um? Do you have a take on this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But it's it's definitely um, it's interesting to think, man, where we've come in the city. Like even ten years ago, you know, as I was going to Michigan State and coming back home, you could just see like the small changes. And then once I graduated, start working downtown, you know, just start to to really accelerate. So yeah. it's, it's it's crazy. And it, again, it's exciting, you know, but I just hope that we continue to keep in mind those who live in those communities that we can't just forget about them. It's it's it's, it's morally, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't want to take up too much time talking. I mean, it's, it's something that's, you know, that I think we're all passionate about. Mm-hmm. But just from a moral standpoint, you don't forget about the people. Mm-hmm. You know, th- these are human beings that, 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 that live in these homes, that live in these communities. These aren't birds or you know i mean you're talking about human beings you don't just turn your back on them you know and say hey fan for yourself you know Mm -hmm. make it happen for you police your own communities Mm -hmm. you know we have a moral obligation to be there for those people to have some safety net and to help our communities rebound Mm -hmm. and you know part of that like we talk about our kids, our kids need to see black business in their community. Mm. They don't. They, I mean, every time they walk in a gas station, they have to see uh, it's, it's a foreign person. Most times that own that gas station, they walk in a grocery stores that's in their area. It's a foreign person that owns the grocery store there. Mm-hmm. When when will they give the have the opportunity to walk in a store and see it black owned and see it flourishing? Yeah. That that just doesn't happen enough. The only time they see that is when they go to get their hair cut mm-hmm. or, or a beauty salon. That is that is a little disenchanting. Yeah. I do I do I know what you mean, man. Mm-hmm. You know I I go to my mechanic, I go to my gas station. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really see us there. Yeah. Your your laundromat, your yeah. cleaners, beauty supply, beauty stores. supply mm-hmm. stores. I mean it's. Yeah. It, you don't see the black on fish and chicken, Captain J. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. And they own that now. It, yeah. You know, they just have us working. <laughs> right, right, that's what I'm saying. I think I think the best way to kind of solve that is that there needs to be some type of you know venture capitalist fund, like community fund, where we all sort of pull money together and then fund these businesses ourselves. Man, I think that's that's the way it needs to go. Um, because ultimately, it's just a lack of resources. You know, lack of understanding. You know how to get started and create your business. And without having at least some type of resources to get started, you know, we never see any growth or any improvement in terms of building uh, businesses in our communities. I think that it um, definitely um, comes back to, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Carter G. Woodson and the Town of the Tenth. And I think it really comes back to that, like just having that that 10% who are business owners and educators and politicians and the leaders in the community to really hold that hold that light mm. and kind of and kind of make it happen because yeah. I don't think we can expect it from, you know, from generations and generations of poverty. Right. You can't expect it on a big enough level to um, infuse change. Mm. I mean, there, there there are examples of people who are doing it right. And I, I know in Livernois, there's a lot of 
new stores popping up. You got the Cuzzo's Chicken and Waffle. You got the American Bistro. Uh, was it? Uh, I forgot the name of it. But you, Bucharest down Buc- there, I think. Well, yeah. But you see a lot more, at least black-owned businesses popping right. up in that area. And I think that that sort of gives you an example of what it can be. But, again, it really depends on how we can build these smaller communities within, you know, the larger city because a lot of them is dilapidated housing. It's, it's You have no really no structure um, within that communities anymore. There's no people living in these, some of these communities anymore. So, you know, first off, we need the people there. You know, we need investments from the city of Detroit. We need investments from each other, our own pockets. And then we, we never know. You never know where it goes. Yeah. yeah. I'm just big on that educational piece. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, let's just face it, you're not going to be able to change the minds and hearts of of some of the a lot of adults because they're set in their ways. And mm-hmm. then, but if we could get a hold of the next generation, right? Um, the next generation, you know, education being infused with uh, with literacy, financial literacy, mm-hmm. um, reading, you know, uh, kids being exposed. They always said I was t- I was talking to a group of friends. I said, I, I want to totally transform high school mm-hmm. where by the time you're coming in, you know, ninth grade year, ninth grade year, there's a ton of drop off in terms of kids who drop out of high school, who don't, who, who just say, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore in the ninth grade year. <laughs> so why is it that we don't turn and make the, take the 12th graders mm-hmm. and make, give the 12th graders more of a, a college feel, mm-hmm. a college curriculum, a college, um, so everything that they do looks like they're in school and college versus and get them out the building right. and kind of have them doing more research, more uh, uh, outside of the school exposure, being more creative in that standpoint and mm-hmm. focus more of our attention with our ninth grade, mm-hmm. teaching them and infusing them with financial literacy. Many of many of and I know how I was, you know, because I came from a single parent home. Mm-hmm. Um, no one, you know, taught me the value of a dollar. You know, many of them don't know the value of a dollar anymore. No. So the minute that they get a little money in their hands, they want to get some Jordans. Spend it right. <laughs> you know, I mean, they want to spend it on some Jordans. And then yeah, they'll come right back Jordans. to you with no money, with fresh Jordans on their feet, and ask you for some money. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, it's like we have to begin to, to it's like, transmogrify their thought process mm-hmm. because the thought process is that a survival. You know, yeah. if, if I don't have anything, I want to at least look sweet. <laughs> It happens all the time. You know, you see it all the time. But lit- literacy is a big issue, man. They kids just can't. Some of them just can't read. You know, many of them can. Many of them. Yeah. Can. And we have. I mean, I have examples. We're working with kids who can barely formulate sentences. Who can you barely see it on social media. You see it on social. Oh, yeah. many adults can't read. Uh, many adults. Right. Yeah. And, and this is a city again. I think it's, it's either forty-seven or maybe fifty percent now. Mm-hmm. Of functionally illiterate people living mm. in this, living in a city, and I'm not trying to dog, but I, but we have to be able to put the problems out there right. to eventually get to how to, and then move to solution. Mm. I don't want to stay with the problem. I want to exactly. state the problem, but I want to move to a solution. And and again, until we change our mindset, and I think that happens when there is exposure, mm. and um, that happens with the next generation. Because yeah. I think some of some again, some of our adults are just so set in their ways, you know, that that it's going to take their kids being more teaching their kids how to have their own business and mm-hmm. how to be a playwright, you know, or write films and mm-hmm. 
I mean, just all the different things that 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 you can be exposed to out here. Because many of our kids only think they can be a rapper, Ball sports, player, yeah. some type of sport, or that or that's it. That's, yeah. You know, and and I think that um, the biggest thing that we need to kind of take out of this is that there's no one singular solution to this problem. Like this it's is not. a complex, you know, deep ingrained problem mm-hmm. that yes, you can use, you can put money towards one thing, but it's not going to solve for the four or five, six other things that's also contributing to it. Right. And um, that's, that has been sort of the biggest issue because you see there's, there's been investments in the city. They want to focus on, you know, making sure kids have a, a safe space or making sure kids have, have food. But Again, we have to address the poverty, the, 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 the issues of poverty, issues of literacy, issues of um, just lack of, of shelter, issues of mental parenting, parenting um, mental issues. It's so many things that you can touch on that really affect our students and our kids um, that we can't just really put one money into one pot and just say, all right, really? do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. It's Absolutely. tough. Absolutely. We got to step up as mentors, too, to these mm-hmm. kids because, I mean— Shout out to all of the mumble rappers, but I mean, if my kid is, <laughs> if that's his role model, yeah, you know, and I mean, what can we expect from that? Yeah. Say what you will, but I believe Lil Yachty, he turned, he turned what he had into a, a business. True, like he, he's he, he's making his moves marketing wise. I don't think Lil Yachty, in terms of how he moves in the business, is a bad role model. You know, lyrics. I mean, it is what it is. But yeah. but I mean, Lil Yachty is actually. I was looking at a, a documentary or some type of video. He's from. The suburbs, like his, his mom had a good job and he's living a good life. He just sort of plays onto that character because that's what's in. Like right. he, he doesn't really think that way. He doesn't act that way. He's just playing to the stereotype. Like I said, marketing wise, you know, he's out here. Yeah. You know, but I mean, what is that doing though? What is that doing for the for the kids in yeah. terms of their aspirations? You know, I understand all that, but you know, I grew up in the era of you know D4L and them franchise boys. Mm-hmm. Those aren't really those aren't really like key role models to look up to, but at the same time, you know, um, you you do look at the if you look at the behind the scenes and the business of it all. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that could change your mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the kids are looking at that. They might not be looking at that, but I don't know. And that's how I look at it. They're not. Kids are look. Kids are looking, listening for beats. <laughs> right. Um, they are. They, they you know they want to bob their head. You know they mm-hmm. want to put their headphones on. <laughs> yep. Eric, you know what I'm talking about. But you work in the school with me. They they're not so much caught up. I I, I I've taken uh, lyrics to a song mm-hmm. and printed them off <laughs> and had the kid read it back to me without music. They said what? <laughs> like what is? This? I mean, I, I'll no never sense. forget. A couple years ago, the one song came out. I dog. Oh, a yeah, yeah. dog ages. Yeah. Not all, not all, not not one, but all ages. So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kids walking them down the hall. I asked them. I said, "So imagine, just imagine, you, you on the porch mm-hmm. drinking some Kool Aid, <laughs> yeah. and I turn coming up the block, coming to pick your mom up, <laughs> right. and I'm blasting that song, and I'm all into it. Hi, a dog, a dog. I said, "How would you feel?" Mm. Man, I wouldn't want you to come to pick my mama. Be a little hey. disappointed. Maybe. <laughs> like my, like my should show is better. Huh? Maybe I'm saying it's the wrong way. I mean, I I know what you're saying, but again, I grew up in an era where you know there was a song called you know by Webby, "Give Me That That." Right. 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 But the thing is, they're kids. You know, kids are gonna listen to stuff they shouldn't be listening to. You you you, you grab for the unknown and the, the rather uncharted waters for your age. But I'm saying, at what point when a kid grows up in a mature age, are they not looking at behind the scenes? Mm. You know. I don't know. I mean, I I, I see that. Yeah, I'm 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 a, I'm a close out. 
No, no, but no, this, you this got a valid though. point. I, I agree. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I you do got a valid point because yes, we do live in a time where, especially when we were kids, we going we gonna grasp onto what we think is good. You know what we like, but it's also we also had other examples. We had Peter DJZ who were actually business people. You know who uh, who took advantage of the system in the right way. They just use music as a catalyst for business success, right? In many cases, and so kids don't really relate to them anymore because you know they're they're old guys. Like these these guys are almost fifty years yeah, old, right? right? They're vets, so they don't really grasp onto that. So the people who are out now are just the ones who are playing to that caricature. You know, they're not really they could care less about. You know, the biz, yes, they could be doing business in the background, well, but they're not really showing it because they're constantly just putting out that. Well, that ignorant stuff. Well, yeah. again, you know, I mean, there, there is, you know, Chance the Rapper and J. Cole, yeah, who yeah, are popular, yeah, who are and, making and moves. And Kendrick, and, yep. Yeah, Kendrick, Drake, you know, who I believe, you know, are good businessmen. Mm-hmm. You know, so I believe, I'm, you know, I believe it's um, pros and cons to it, you know. Yeah. But a lot of the conscious rap don't even get played. And then the Not kids like here, the kids here push me to the edge. All my friends <laughs> there. Like, what? No, I mean, well, I think, I think tough. Kendrick does get airplay. Yeah, yeah, he's starting to get more airplay. Chance, chance getting okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They, they're getting airplay, um, right, right now, right now, yeah. right now. But but in terms of when you ask a kid, all right, who yo, who's the rap you could turn up to? Lil Durk, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're not saying they're not saying Cole. They're not saying uh, Kendrick. Who is it around? It's it's a lot of Detroit. Um, you got Look, is it man. Kodak? Some guy named Co- Kodak, Kodak. I heard. Yeah, you know, I do like the little one tunnel vision song. I'm, I'm gonna hold you up. Look, man, when I was growing up, I thought Nas was boring. Now he's one of my favorite rappers, yeah. so I can understand how the kids may not That's go true. for it. But you know, and I think, but yeah, I was gonna say, um, I agree with everything that you're saying. Yeah. I, I just also think you also have to take it by an individual basis. For instance, exactly, if you grew up with a parent mm-hmm. that was involved. Mm. A parent that maybe didn't know everything he was listening to, but that parent talked to you. Mm. Uh, you had discussion. You know, they sat down and they talked to you about right and wrong. You know, I grew up yeah. in a generation where grandma was still, grandma was in her 50s, 60s. Not, right. Now grandma is 38, 40. <laughs> and so grandma going to the club with you, you might grandma see hanging grandma hanging out. Right. Is, is that grandma? I want some, you want some Hennessy, grandma? Get off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, and, so, and so parents have to parent again. You know, yeah. it, it, at the end of the day, I don't care what my kid listens to from uh, Lil Dirt. I mm-hmm. want my voice to be the prominent voice in their mind when mm-hmm. it comes to making moral decisions. Yeah. And they don't have that because parents don't talk to their kids anymore. Right. So yeah. what they get there, their, what they learn, they learn it from listening to the, the rap music. That's true. Yeah. I think I think there's a point where you just keep it as entertainment, and not as your um, defining voice of your decisions and your actions. But yeah. again, you know, kids are impressionable, so yeah, yeah they are. Because again, when you don't have any other influences out there, you're gonna try to find the first thing to sort of latch onto. And Eric, so Eric and you saw it. Oh I yeah, mean, you see with kids. You, I mean, you kid is it comes in your office. They've been put out of class. They come in there rapping, <laughs> rapping like. Yeah, that's oh, we experience it. You know, like yeah. are you serious? Yeah, you know. So I mean. And that's why you, when you were talking, uh, Aaron, about um, about making sure that we have mentors, it, it's so it's so badly needed because when you talk about gentrification, they don't even realize what's happening in their own city because right. they're not even exposed to it. It's not even a part of their curriculum. Yeah, they're blinded to it. And this is right. man, this has been a great discussion. I think this definitely needs to happen more often in terms of talking about yeah, I like this. these two cities, Absolutely. man, um, and, and even more topics. So thank you all. Thanks, Aaron, Marquise, Anthony, Kyle. 
You know, this has been a great episode of Can We Talk? And we'll see you next week. All right. All right. Thank you. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network.